It's disturbing news in the last minutes of George Floyd's life. Who got you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? His death is on their hands. As much as it is those officers. I can't breathe. Please, the name of it. I can't breathe shit. George Floyd was murdered when white officer Derek Chauvin kept his knee on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Rather than introducing this episode with a song, the next 8 minutes and 46 seconds will be in silence in honor of George Floyd as well as the countless innocent black lives that have been lost at the hands of police brutality and systemic racism.
Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of Broken Brains. Uh, I know that we've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we're back and better than ever. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so if you guys have been keeping your eyes open in your own communities, um, you would have seen that recently the Black Lives Matter movement has been um, very strong and has taken over the streets of many cities and even small towns across the U.S. and even the world. Um, so before we start this episode, Julie and I just wanted to make really clear that um, we are here speaking as allies. Um, we are not Black. We are both Asian American. So just want to reiterate that we we will never really understand, but we stand with the Black community and um, we are here as allies. Yes, exactly. So with that being said, um, I guess, where do we even start? There's so much, there's so much um, to talk about here. Should we talk about the police system? Um, with American policing, the thing that stuck out to me the most, the Fugitive Slave Acts, um, specifically mm-hmm. like the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850, mm-hmm. um, which basically like forcibly made citizens capture slaves that they thought were um escaped and bring them back to their owners um so this sort of was the beginning of this idea that like white people are the ones who are supposed to like protect themselves and their town which is sort of like why Ahmad Aubrey was was shot because these people think that they that's their right you know yeah I mean what really stuck out to me following along that same line is ever since slaves were freed by Abraham Lincoln. The systems that were in place during the eras of slavery um, like really never went away. They just were rewritten. At least talking about George Floyd, I think everyone should know the name Derek Chauvin. Um, According to the New York Times, he had at least 17 complaints about him in his 19-year history as a cop. And I was just like, think about how many complaints, 17 complaints Mm -hmm. are. Like, that is a large number of complaints. Like, that's not, like, one or two. That's 17. That's different accounts of people complaining about this man. And um, all of these accounts resulted in zero discipline. Um, He was also involved in three shootings over the course of his career. So I was wondering, like, why, if an officer has that record, why was he still – why is he still a police officer? And – There are so many systems in place to protect these officers. For example, unions. I think that's like the most powerful Mm -hmm. system. Um, And in Minneapolis, uh, the union president himself has 29 complaints against him as a police officer. And he said outright that he was going to fight to get the jobs back of the four officers that were involved in the lynching of George Floyd. I think that this one instant is sort of representative of like the larger... Uh, like systemic corruption of specifically the police union because um, I was listening to Code Switch, which is my favorite podcast. But basically they're explaining how these police union contracts are standing in the way of like common sense reforms because these provisions are allowing officers to get their jobs back even if a police chief has fired them. So in this case with George Floyd, like even though the police chief was like, yeah, like you're fired, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stay fired. Like the union supersedes what the police chief says yeah and there's also this legal concept called reasonable fear which is like the idea that cops have extremely difficult dangerous jobs 
So reasonable fear, that's so subjective. And also because of the racism that is so heavily ingrained into this society, a white officer can spin any situation with a black man to say that he was fearing for his life. And that's exactly what has happened hundreds of times. And officers just get to get off with no punishment. Oh my gosh, what was that noise? Is what I bet you just asked yourself. I'll tell you. Um, that noise is, you're going to hear it a few more times throughout this episode. Um, whenever you hear it, it basically means that there's going to be a break. It's going to be a productive break, though. Um, so whenever you hear that noise, it means you better get ready to pause this episode and go sign whatever petition we tell you to. So this first one is going to be to declare the KKK a terrorist organization, because how is it not already? Um, this is going to be link one. So you're going to find link one um, in our link tree, which is in our bio of our Instagram, um, at broken.brains underscore podcast. Or if you don't want to go through Instagram, you can go directly to the link tree, which is going to be um, link tree slash broken dot brains um, and you spell that l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash broken dot brains um, and you're gonna click link one and sign it it'll only take a few seconds okay so pause right now okay unpause it um i hope i hope that you actually signed it and that you aren't just like listening through because it's easy okay okay back to the episode <laughs> Yeah, and that's the case a lot of the times of how these officers are acquitted um, because, like, like they say, like, I feared for my life. And then right. that sort of is supposed to justify why they shot, like, an unarmed Black person. And their racism is being used as, like, a justification for their wrongdoing. I've heard a lot of backlash, like, about the defund the police phrase mm-hmm. a lot of people are like what do we if the police are defunded then like who protects us one that's like an extremely privileged thing mm-hmm. to say because the police don't protect black people in fact the police literally systematically kill black people so okay like maybe they're protecting you but they're not protecting everyone and second what defund the police means is that we need to change the budget to be moving money into education reform and things like that which literally get so little money yeah and i i just want to move back to what you said um because i think it's a really important point about these people who are saying like who do you call if your house is getting broken into um and about the privilege that you and i both have as well because you know we both live in white dominated neighborhoods you and i haven't had to worry about the police coming and hurting us when we call them. But right. we also, with that being said, like we also have to remember that we are in a place of, of like extreme privilege and many predominantly black communities aren't, they aren't calling the police. They have not been relying on police to protect them because they exactly. understand that they are not there to protect them. If anything, like they will hurt them if they call them. So so there have already been neighborhoods that aren't relying as heavily on police as other neighborhoods have, you know? I think that can bring us into another topic of like performative allyship, you know? So I'm just going to read an excerpt from a piece by 
Holiday Phillips about what performative allyship is. Um, so she writes that performative allyship, on the other hand, is when someone from that same non-marginalized group professes support and solidarity with a marginalized group in a way that isn't that either isn't helpful or that actively harms that group. Performative allyship usually involves that quote-unquote ally receiving some kind of reward. This is like what is like so disgusting to me. Like all of these people are posting these things on Instagram and on their stories and these same people, it's very clear to me that you are not like actively trying to change your mindset with the new information that you've been given. And also like I'm obviously, I've messed up too because all of these biases and they're all internalized, you know? Um, And it takes a lot of effort to sort of unearth them and work on them. But it, it bothers me when I see people not even doing that. Hey guys, you know what that sound means. It's petition time. Um, so get ready to take out your phone, computer, iPad, whatever technology you have. And um, please go to the link tree in the at broken.brains underscored podcast bio. Or um, you can go to linktr.ee slash brokenbrains and click link number two. This link is in support of the Hands Up Act. It was started by um, college student Travis Washington. And um, Travis is demanding legislation that prohibits officers from shooting unarmed citizens. So what he's saying is that if there isn't any weapon found after someone has been shot um, by a police officer, meaning that the person shot was unarmed, then the officer should receive a mandatory 15-year prison sentence. So what this will do is hold police accountable and um, it will take you less than a minute to sign it. So please go do that. Um, Again, the Hands Up Act petition through change.org, which you can find in our link tree. And it's just sort of like these people are doing this because they go out and they're only doing things that they're comfortable with. Like, that's her neighborhood. She she feels safe in Santa Monica, so she's only going to go here because she doesn't want to get her hands dirty and actually try to be uncomfortable, which is, which is a problem, you know? Like, racism is protected because white people are not able to face, like, the discomfort that comes with having conversations about race, you know? Yeah, and, like, I think that it's really important, too, to acknowledge the fact that protesting is great. However, protesting isn't enough. Like, there's so much you need to do from home, so much including signing petitions, writing emails, calling reps, reading, educating yourself, like, actively being anti-racist. Those are all things you can do from home. What bothers me is if all you do is stand outside with a sign. That's not doing shit. Like, you need to be actively engaged. Yeah, and and just sort of about putting research in. Like, I know that for my, the sign that I have, it says, like, say their names. And I wrote so many names. But I didn't write those names without first researching their story, you know? Like, Tucker would, like, point to a name and he'd be like, oh, like, who's Oscar Grant? And I'd have to say, like, you know, who's this guy? He was a black man. He was on... He was at the train station, and while he was there, he was shot by, like, a policeman when he wasn't doing anything. Right, and for context, Tucker is her little brother. Yes, he's five years old. So that was, like, really, really – it's so difficult having to explain what everything that's going on to a five-year-old. Like, he's gone to all the protests with me. 
Um, and, right. you know, we tell him about like, he's like, oh, what, why are people saying like, I can't breathe? And then we have to say, because that was like what George Floyd was saying when a cop was like being un- what how we say is like when he's being unsafe with his body. Right. And I also have to like commend your family for that because I have heard from like so many white parents uh they've like reached out to my mom like they're like scared if they have younger kids how do we explain this situation to those kids and um I read a tweet somewhere I wish I knew who it was from but it said like you're you as a white person are like scared of explaining to your child what this movement means and what um what is happening to black bodies um but black people have to explain to their probably around Tucker's age, five-year-old children, that being black, like every time they exit the house and walk down the street, they are in danger. Their lives are in danger. Black people have to be, they have an extremely different reality because they face systematic police brutality. Like that is something that kids as young as four to five years old are learning. (laughs) Okay, this actually leads me into another conversation, like another topic I would really like to touch on, which is... um, white women and I feel like in both of our because Julie and I have gone to predominantly white schools our whole lives um all girls schools we've had like a lot of exposure to white women um and recently I the people who are closest to me many of which are white many of whom sorry grammar are white um (laughs) like I have never been more uncomfortable, disappointed, frustrated, concerned, etc. I I quoted this from this piece of theory that I read, which is, it says, quote, while sexism shapes the nature of womanhood, white womanhood looks very different than Asian American, Black, Indigenous, or Latina womanhood, because, because each woman's experience is shaped by the internal expectations and external perceptions of what it means to be a woman with each within each of these racial communities. For white women, like they have been stereotyped to emulate purity, chastity, virtue, all these things. While women of color um, have negative stereotypes associated with their racial community. So she cites this example, which is if like an Asian American woman and a white woman get in an argument or something, the white woman might start crying. As soon as like the general public sees a white woman cry, she becomes the victim. And the conclusion is that the Asian American woman started whatever this fight is. And that those white tears like delegitimize the trauma of people of color and this is a metaphor for so much more but it's really really annoying and really inappropriate when white people say I just don't know how to talk about this because it makes me uncomfortable and like do not make this about you like do not victimize yourself as the white Mm -hmm. woman because you are not the victim of the situation your complaints and your tears like make this about you you know what I mean yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. And and it also adds this, like, another – I was talking to my mom about white women's tears um, because I was going to have a meeting with someone, <laughs> like, who is yes. white and a woman. Um, and I was sort of just <laughs> – <laughs> Like she is my, white and a woman. She is white and a woman. 
and I was having a meeting. Um, yes. And I was just talking to my mom beforehand and I was like, just sort of trying to prep myself. And then somehow the conversation shifted into this idea of white women's tears. And my mom was like, it's just so stupid. Like, you just have to sit there and then like, wait for them to be finished. And then like, the conversation's basically over. And and the fact that like she knows exactly she's experienced that so many times that we as people of color also have to anticipate like this white like white women tears. It adds another layer of having to sort of console and like cushion the white pe- person, you know? I'm sure that you've had to do this as well, Tara, but for me like every time when I've had to bring up a concern that I've had um with school, Uh, I'll have to be like I understand like what you're trying to do and I really appreciate like what you guys are what you guys are like the the efforts that you're making I I have to like preface it with with these like statements of gratitude that like are like kind of true but like aren't really because you have to in order to get through them you have to sort of have like have that you know and I feel like we can really only speak for the Asian American experience, but I can only imagine what it's like to be a black woman Mm -hmm. trying to have dialogue with a white woman at this particular time. I've actually like seen um, some dialogue between black women and white women recently, like in my own community Mm -hmm. over Zoom and stuff like that. It always becomes about as a white person, what is appropriate for me to say and do because I feel really uncomfortable. It's not about you and your discomfort like okay you find it uncomfortable like what about black women who are watching their brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children be killed like by the people who are supposed to be protecting our society I can already hear like people I know white women I know listening to this and being like well we just want to help and Mm -hmm. this is like an exclusive conversation but What everyone has to understand is, one, it's not the job of black people to explain to white people what they can do. All right, my friends, it's petition time. Uh, This one's going to be justice for Breonna Taylor. If you don't know who Breonna Taylor was, she was a 26-year-old EMT who was shot in her Louisville apartment by a police officer back in March. Um, This one's very important, especially because there has been a pattern of lack of media and political attention on black women like Brianna who have died at the hands of police officers. So go sign this. This is going to be link three. You can find it in the link of our Instagram bio. Um, That's going to be at broken.brains underscore podcast. Or if you just want to go directly to the website, um, that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash broken.brains. So pause, go do that. Unpause, yay! Thank you for signing it, and I hope you really did. You should feel proud of yourself. And if you didn't, this is me trying to guilt you into pausing it again and going back and signing it because it literally takes a few seconds. Okay, anyways, back to the episode. Okay, so obviously the conversation has shifted to like white white allies, and I think that's okay because I think that this conversation is really important, especially knowing our demographic of listeners at the moment is mm-hmm. mostly comprised of white people. Um, but I recently <laughs> in my neighborhood, <laughs> um, 
Holland's Holland's um classmate. Holland from is elementary her little school. her other little brother. Yes, he's 15. So from his elementary school, he has a friend. I won't say her name because I don't know if the mom feels comfortable, but um her her mom is uh she is black and she was on a walk with her kids in my neighborhood. They're walking down the street and her her two kids have brown skin. Her her um the husband or the ex-husband is white, so they're a little bit lighter skin. They're walking past this house and um these dogs like run out. And the the mom is like, put your dog on a leash. And this like pissed the guy off, I guess, this white man who was living in that house. And he was like, mm-hmm. he like called her a bitch in front of her children who are Holland's age and younger. So like 15 and, a, and like 13, probably. She, mm-hmm. He calls the mom a bitch and then says, why yeah. don't you guys go back and steal shit like you normally do? And this was, like, a few days oh after everything happened in the promenade, you know, after everything was looted. Right. So it's, like, he 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 thought that it was okay to go do that, you know? Like, there are so many problems with that statement. And the thing that bothered <sighs> her the most about it was that it was in front of her children, um, who are old enough to understand the racial connotations and how problematic this was. Um, especially during these times where they're also attending these protests and having conversations in, within their house. So um, the the mom uh, contacted my mom and a few other moms. They all went down to his house. I joined them. And we were we basically went down to this guy's house trying to... She texted him before, hey, uh, me and a group of my mom friends are going to be coming down because I would really appreciate an apology to my children. And he never responded, but we went down there anyway. And his housekeeper opened the door and was like, oh, he's not here. And I was like, okay, we're in the middle of quarantine. Like, I don't know where he would be, but whatever. But these like white moms across the street when we were all pulling up and waiting for everyone to show up, they're like oh what are you guys doing here and we're like oh we're just waiting for a friend and then we sort of explain the situation she goes well you know we just want to make sure that you guys are being really careful because this neighborhood we want it to be safe for our kids too so like just don't like make a big scene and i was just like are you like kidding the whole reason that we're here is because we want this neighborhood to be safe for our kids too and you're saying, don't make a scene because we want this to be safe for us. This is an example of white people making a situation that is so clearly not about them, or I guess like not about them as the victim and turning themselves into the victim in this context. And then she, she was like, I'm the head of the PTA. And then she privilege, was like, privilege, privilege. Yeah. And I was like the head of the PTA. That's the whitest thing I've ever heard, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, like- and then we were basically like, okay, thank you. We understand. We weren't being rude because, you know, if you're a person of color, you have to be conscious and you can't be like rude because then you look like the angry person of color so we're like all being really nice and she's like and why don't you guys put on your masks that made me so mad i was like we're all wearing masks you're the only one who's not wearing a mask also yeah let's just keep in mind that like these people don't believe this is like a whole nother thing for a whole nother podcast about like corona but white people think that they are invincible and immortal and are bigger and better than this pandemic and therefore we are all going to suffer through a second and third wave because people are stupid okay anyway um continuing this conversation there was this study conducted by the american psychological association and it involved 264 white female undergraduate students from large public u.s universities and these students were shown photographs alongside descriptions of various crimes and asked to assess the innocence of white black or latino boys ages 10 to 17 
And the students overestimated the age of blacks by an average four and a half years and found them more culpable than whites or Latinos, particularly when the boys were matched with serious crimes. So these women, college-educated white women, overestimated black boys' ages by four and a half years. And what this immediately made me think of was um, Tamir Rice, who Mm -hmm. was killed on November 22nd, 2014. He was 12 years old, holding an airsoft gun toy, which the officer perceived as a real gun. 12. He was killed in Cleveland, Ohio by Timothy Lehman, 26-year-old police officer, immediately when he arrived on the scene. What the study just made me think of was like, I mean, Tamir Rice was a baby boy, like 12 years old. And that officer immediately jumped to the conclusion that he was... I don't know, a late teen, adult, I guess we'll never know, holding a real gun. And this connects to so many things that are based in the times of slavery. Thinking about the perception of black kids to be less innocent, to be older. And I believe the same study found that when white women looked at white children, they actually underestimated their age. So they saw them as like younger I mean, this internalized racism is so heavily ingrained into society. As anyone who's not black, it's really, really important to take a step back and look very deeply into oneself and pick up on your internalized racism because I've been doing it recently and I'm like, holy shit, like I've, I have preconceived notions of every race. Like I need to check myself. And so I hate to bring it back to white woman, but I also love to bring it back to you guys because you need to work on yourselves. Like, check yourself. Check your privilege constantly. I think for both of us in the Asian community, there's a lot of anti-blackness in there. I think that this is for everyone. Like, to be actively anti-racist, you must correct your family members, no matter Mm -hmm. how old they are, no matter how traditional they are. Like, and and, you know, it's it's very hard to do that. I totally understand that. You know, um, especially in like the Asian community where it's there's a value of like respecting your elders that's like such a big one but I I found what helps a lot is sort of trying to relate what's happening to an experience that they might have faced my experience in practicing this has mostly been with white women where you talk about the oppression that you're facing in the context of patriarchal oppression um because Mm -hmm. they are able to understand that more um But especially like in the Asian community, I was reading something about how they would talk about instances of police brutality that they would put that in the instances of them like immigrating and sort of putting it in a more familiar context like that is really helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, I also just like have realized recently, not recently, actually, I've known this for a long time, but um, (laughs) being complicit is as bad, if not worse, as just like being outrightly racist. You have privilege and you're not using it. And I've done it so many. I have been so complicit for the last 18 years and it kills me. I mean, there have been so many instances where... A lot of um, white girls at our school will be intermingled with white boys who literally say the N-word, who have said awful things about African-Americans, blah, blah, blah. And dating those guys and entertaining those guys and also posting on your Instagram story like Black Lives Matter, that makes me want to vomit. As a good ally, you should not be complicit in that shit. Also, with that being said, 
like for me, someone responded to a post that I reposted on my story about white privilege and and all this stuff. And she was trying to, I don't know exactly, she was like nitpicking, like I called her out on it, of course. But, you know, you have to realize for your own health, it's also not your job to have to, to justify the way that you're feeling. Hey guys, you know what that sound means. It's time for petition number four. So um, click the link of the link tree in our broken.brains underscore podcast Instagram bio or go to linktr.ee slash broken.brains and um, click link four for the hashtag defund police petition that has been started by Black Lives Matter, the organization. This petition demands acknowledgement and accountability for black pain and injustice it demands divestment in the police force and lastly demands investment in the health and prosperity of black communities please go sign that petition it's very important and it is being overseen by the central organization to this entire movement so um take it takes less than one minute and um yeah go for it Yeah, and it's like what I think white people don't understand is that for the community of color, like we have generations of trauma Mm -hmm. that like we are dealing with every second of every minute of every hour of every day. Like it is exhausting, like absolutely exhausting. And so, yes, it's not our job to like defend our opinions and correct you. It's not people of color's jobs. However, ultimately it does make a lot of change. But because it's not our job, people also need to recognize that they cannot be defensive or rude when a person of color corrects them because it is not their job and they're volunteering themselves and their experiences and opening themselves up to you to benefit our society as a whole. It is not up to us to correct you However, it does bring change. The least that people could do, like actually just go out and educate yourself. There are so many books, so many movies, so many podcasts that are free. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just think uh, before we like say our goodbyes and stuff, um, Mm -hmm. I think that once again, code switch, I'm going to quote, (laughs) what he said was really powerful i think as far as what our next steps are he said i think to a large extent white power structure waits for us as black people especially to quiet down settle down to get it out of our system in terms of unrest or in terms of online protests i'll be writing my column and that moment will happen but whether or not it will result in any concrete change is really up to the people who may be least involved with the trauma it matters whether or not people who are not affected by this do something which is like right. so like I think that puts it like very clearly like of what needs to happen for change. Yeah, so I'm Tara. And I'm Julia. And and this, and this is Broken <laughs> Brain. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you all are still being safe and responsible as we are still facing a global pandemic and um yeah, hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Or not see you, but we'll we'll you'll hear us soon. Yeah, you'll okay. hear our beautiful voices soon. Yes. And wash your hands. <laughs>